The engines were at full power and the aircraft climbed up to about 100, 110 feet off the ground and then we weren't climbing anymore. Very quickly knew that I was likely going to die. I was looking down at a airplane that had crashed. Right then, it hit me. I'm not my body. There's my body, but here's me. Scientists postulate there must be at least five dimensions to make sense of some of the things science is discovering. Is it so crazy to think about what comes after this life? Well, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Man, I am so glad to be with you the week after Easter. Usually, uh, this was when everybody takes off church because you came to church for, the, you know, for your once a year, you knocked it out, and so you usually have the youth pastor preach the following week. But special treat for you. Here I am. I'm so excited to be with you, and I'm really excited about this series as we talk about what's after, and you're like, what's after what? What's after life, okay? And that's where we're going this morning. You're going to have questions, okay? And I got some really great questions this morning from First Service that we're going to talk about on Pastor Plex Podcast. Make sure uh, that you check us out. I probably need to put this in black on this. Where's Melanie? Help me out. Uh, anyway, so this number right here, which actually is this number right here, uh, go ahead and text us in. We talk about faith, culture, and everything in between, and we'll be talking about what's after uh, for the next several weeks. I'm really pumped for that, so make sure you give us some good fodder for questions. Now, why we, you know, I was actually thinking, you know, the, my sermon prep team, which consists of uh, Pastor Joseph and Pastor James and uh, Gra- Pastor Grayson, we, we were sitting around thinking about what are we going to talk about after Easter? What would be like a thing that would draw people back to come? And we're like, everyone's like, death. Everybody wants to talk about death. I'm like, oh, wow, really? You think so? So uh, we're going to talk about it. Uh, and uh, the reason I have, I have a lot of experience in this area, which is sort of bizarre. I, as you guys know, I've been to combat and was a company commander in Iraq. And so death and like life and uh, body bags was like a normal thing. Picking up the enemy, picking up my own men. That's hard. And then uh, my own father passed away about nine years ago, and uh, that was really hard, just sort of staring down at, at his body. And I just there was this kind of thought came in, he's not in there. And then really the pa- this pandemic, um, man. There have been a lot of uh, people taking their own life. People affiliated or associated with our church somewhat loosely, somewhat more familiarly. But, man, people, we've, uh, J- Pastor James did a, a funeral of a suicide. I did a funeral of a suicide. And so to say that the pandemic has brought out, like, the most pain, the most hurt, the most woundedness, it, there's this deep, deep, deep core thing in every single one of us that says there's got to be something more than this. You've probably said that at work. You may have said that in your marriage. You may have said that uh, in whatever the place where you hit a bottom spot and you're just like, there's got to be something more. And I want to give you good news. There is. And we're going to talk about what God's word has to say, and then we're going to look at some stories about it. But I feel like what happens 
we resist having a proper view of death because we have the wrong view of eternity. And we resist having a proper view of eternity because we think death is losing. And we're, America's made of winners. Did you guys know that? America. We win. All right? We are here to win, and we are here to win every time. All right? And so whenever you talk about death, we go, we don't lose here. And if we do, we cover it up so it makes it look like we won. Right? We don't, like, if, it's just like if, if the game is over and your team is behind, you, no, it's not that we lost. It's just we ran out of time, and there was, we were about to come back and win. We view death as losing. And the same thing happens with us when it comes to death, even though everybody is terminal. Did you guys know that? You're terminal? It's just it's just a matter of time. There's nobody you know that's 150. You might know a couple people that make it past you know, triple digits, and you're like, way to go. Their quality of life might not exactly be stellar, but they're there. And I think what's sort of sad about this fact is we spend more time praying sick people out of heaven than we spend praying healthy people out of hell. Is this true? Do you spend more time praying sick people out of heaven than healthy people out of hell? And I wonder, the, re- the reason why we do that is because, let's just be real, we don't know many people that aren't going to heaven, or we don't see them. Do you know what I mean by you don't see them? It's kind of like, you know you have the, the, the couch that's just like, you know, it needs to go. <laughs> But, but you've gotten so beyond the couch that you can't even see it anymore. You just see it's just, it's a part of the wall. It's a part of the furniture. And new people, when you, you only see it when new people come over to your house. You're like, yeah, I've been really mean to get rid of that couch. But it just is there. And so that's what happens. Like when your pastor shows up with you to work or when Jesus shows up with you to work. And maybe you go, oh my gosh, look at all these lost people. Who knew they were here? I've been meaning to tell them about Jesus, but I got my own issues. Okay? And so we don't think about death because death is losing. And you know, who has time to think about those things? Or how about this? We, we resist having a proper view of eternity because we think only of gaining more in this life. You, you've heard the famous quote, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins. And I think we live in a world where we're looking to achieve. And it's not necessarily that you want the stuff. You know, money is just a scoreboard for you. That tells you how you're doing, how you're measuring up in accordance to whatever... At least you could just you know, surround yourself with people who make less than you, and you were always winning. <laughs> and so what happens, we only think more of gaining more in this life. Okay, or how about this? We, we resist a proper view of eternity because we think how we live now does not affect our eternity. And so I really want us to get a proper perspective on the grand narrative that you are living just a small portion of your life right now in this body, and it's going to be a shadow of what's real and what's actual. So um, my heart for us this morning is that we would get into God's word, we'd see what he had to say, and then we'd proclaim it and, you know, from the rooftops as we leave here. Uh, so we're going to be in Matthew 16. Matthew 16. So if there should be a Bible in your general vicinity, if you don't have a Bible at all, this is our gift to you. If you have your phone, pull out your phone, type in Matthew 16. We're going to be starting roughly at verse 21, and that's where you can kind of go to. And before uh, we open up and proclaim God's word, would you guys mind praying with me to uh, bless the reading and proclamation of his word? 
Father, thank you. Uh, we worship you, and we're excited to hear what you have to say about the great perspective of eternity. God, um, all the time we're reminded to be younger, to avoid death, to not think about such things. Because anytime you think about such things, you're directed to think about eternity. And so, God, I pray and I ask and I beg that you would speak really loud and really clear about who um, you are. And that when, as we read your word, uh, we would see your goodness, but we'd see your glory. And we would just want more of that, Jesus. You're so good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Okay, here we go. All right, so um, we're going to be in Matthew 16. And the por- portion right before we roll into verse 21 is uh, the disciples and Jesus are hanging out at Caesarea Philippi. All right, so I know everyone has probably in your phone save where Caesarea Philippi is in your maps. But if you don't, it's, if you know where the Sea of Galilee is, which is way north of Jerusalem, you go a little bit north of that and uh, n- near Dan, which, you know, you've all been to Dan. Uh, it's in Israel. And there's this town called Caesarea Philippi. But the thing that makes Caesarea Philippi really sort of famous, it's this massive cave, a.k.a. the gates of hell. All right, that, it just, anytime you call a cave the gates of hell, automatically a place that you need to go check out. And what you would have, it was so deep, right, they, they could never measure how deep it went. And this cave had the beginnings of the Jordan River, okay, it's just, you know, my history geography buffs, you're like, wow, fun fact, okay. And so what you do is you, they would, you know, take, how many farthings is it down there? Many farthings, okay, and they never found how deep it was. Now, this cave uh, was also was a place of worship, okay, uh, for the fertility god Pan. Uh, okay, do you guys remember, um, whenever I think about Pan, this is, I, I got in trouble for thinking this way first service, so I'll, I'll try way better to not be out of control, but I just couldn't help think of this. Do you remember um, from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Mr. Tumnus? Okay, you, you guys with me? All right, that's who Pan is. All right, free? Okay, you guys got that? So the guy with the goat legs and like a half human. So that's who Pan is, and he is the fertility like God. And so what Pan would do, he would live in his cave during the winter months with all of the other fertility deities like Baal and everybody else. And then to get Pan to come out of his cave, you would do things in front of the cave um, worship rituals, uh, sometimes with goats and sometimes with people out in front here, and that's what would get the fertility God to come out, all right? So don't let that resonate in your head too much, but that's what they were doing. And so Jesus and the disciples are hanging out at the gates of hell here. And then Jesus looks around at his disciples. And there's this moment where you just, I, I can't imagine what's going on over, you know, he's like, hey, turn your backs that way, guys. Uh, eyes here, eyes here. Who do the people say that I am? And, you know, they start, you know, they're like, oh, man, this is a, this is a quiz. All right, Jesus quiz. All right. Uh, okay, well, I've heard some people. I'm culturally relevant. I've heard the people say that you're Elijah, you know, like, because you can do miracles and stuff. Other people are like, no, no, you're like John the Baptist because you're like calling people to repent. And so they're all given, you know, or you're, no, no, you're one of the prophets of old. And then 
Jesus, you know, he kind of is like, okay, okay. But who do you say that I am? And I can just imagine Jesus kind of putting his finger in their bony chests. Who do you say that I am? And, G- and this is the part where Peter, you know, God loved Peter. He gets it wrong a lot, but man, he nails this one. He's like, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, which is kind of awesome, to which uh, Jesus goes, whoa, Peter, way to go. That's right. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar just means son. Son of Jonah. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven, you got a direct line to God. Congratulations. And he says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And he kind of leans over and kind of notices the gates of hell, and he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. To which everyone's like, mm. this is a solid moment for the disciples. Okay, and then he said, listen, I'm going to give you guys the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, and we could debate all day what that means. And then... He does this weird moment where he's like, hey, guys, don't tell anybody I just told you that. Keep that to yourselves until the right time. To which everyone's like, all right, got it. We're on the inner circle. Win. Okay, that's where we're picking up. Here it is, Matthew 16, verse 21. Here it is. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes, and be killed. To which, everyone's like, aren't you like the Messiah? You can't kill the Messiah. Nobody kills Superman. And be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And And we're about to hear from Peter, and I wonder if like this part, Peter cut him off before he finished his sentence. Do you guys know that the people who are ready to answer and kind of give you some, you know, motivational pep talk before you even finish your sentence? Anybody else been cut off in a conversation? By your spouse? Anybody else have that? Okay. Uh, anyway, so uh, uh, here it is. <laughs> this is that moment, right? And be killed, and on the third day, be raised. And so Peter jumps in, and Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Come here, Jesus, 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 come here. <laughs> That's cute. Hey, you guys, I got this. Uh, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And I wonder, I wonder if right here, like, as he's, this shall never happen, it, was he talking about the being killed part? Because he didn't even let him get out the last part of his sentence, be raised on the third day part. Like, why do we have to talk about death? We don't, Jesus, <laughs> death is for losers. We are not going to lose. So, here's, we just need to turn this thing around, Jesus. Turn that frown upside down. It's going to be okay. I'm your man, Peter. Listen, you did the thing with the fish. I'm following you. I'm your guy. We can do a couple more of those things. No death. We can keep feeding people for years. And then Jesus, <laughs> who just called him the guy that heard from God directly, he has a bad moment, Peter does. And he turned, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. All right, he just had gotten the keys of the kingdom. And give me those keys. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> now, 
that's like low. Like he just went from like, God, you have a direct line to God to you're like, you are pretty much the enemy. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is where Peter's heart was. And then he's going to kind of, so, you know, he's, Peter took him aside. He rebukes Peter. And then he gets the disciples together again for another re-lesson. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Which is just like, Jesus, didn't you also say a couple chapters before chapter 11, I believe it was, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. This doesn't sound like restful. Carrying crosses, they're heavy. And then he says this, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, for my sake, will find it. This is huge. So so here it is. I, I want you to, Peter believed death is losing. Jesus knew death is gaining. Now, how do we know? <sighs> last, last year, no, gosh, two years. You remember how the COVID years are kind of like a blip in your brain? You don't even remember what time was. It's like, it was like three minutes ago. No, that was actually two and a half years ago. Uh, we were preparing for this sermon series two and a half years ago. I had the entire staff read a book by John Burke called Imagine Heaven, all right? And it had all these stories about people who had near-death experiences and, to, and which validated the scripture when you're like, what's a near-death experience? Okay, so near-death experience is like when you not only flatline heartbeat, but you flatline an EEG. In other words, where there's no recorded brain activity. There, and in other words, there's no chance that electrical, electrical activity in the lower parts of the brain could ever account for a highly lucid order experience as described by near-death experience. So people would have this experience literally with heaven or hell. They're both. Heaven and hell experiences. And they'd be highly lucid, highly ordered, and they remember like everything. And so after reading that, I was just so blown away. I was like, how could I share this with our church? Because I feel like there's a lot of people, and if we're honest, there's a lot of people that deal with a lot of anxiety. I mean, crippling anxiety. And it might look like you've got it together on the outside, but on the inside, you are thinking about you're going to die all the time. Like all the time. You're like, it's over. Today's it. Um, and so that, and sometimes you can't get out of bed. Uh, sometimes you can't have a functional relationship because you, you're constantly canceling. You're like that person. It's like, oh, I'd love to. And then day, minute of, like, no, nah, I can't. Uh, and then you make up a weird excuse. And everyone's like, that's weird. Oh, the, the anxiety's kicking again. She's, she's got a headache. Okay. And so all of a sudden you've got like a lot of issues that come up because of this. And so I want to free a lot of us from that anxiety, okay? So if that's you, this is for free. And I want you to enjoy this experience because God has something great for you. And I wanted to introduce you to a couple stories that sort of valid. It's not proof of diddly squat, but it's, it's evidence that there is something more. Because I think a lot of us, we're like, yay, Jesus, but we live as Christian atheists in our lives. We don't, we don't talk, we're not living for the goodness of God and the land of the living. We're just, we're just kind of gripping the ship being like, 
Hang on, everybody. Hell's to come. You know, you're like, ah. And then if, if you die, you're like, I don't know what's out there. I don't even want to know. I don't want to think about it. I'm just going to brace myself for today. And my hope is after seeing some of the evidence, it might encourage you that the, what God says in his word is true. All right, so we're going to watch a quick story from um, a doctor, an orthopedic surgeon. And whenever you, whenever you hear a near-death experience, I'm always a little skeptical because I'm thinking, this person wanted to write a book and then like get famous and then you know go on tour. But th- most of the people you're going to see are like not famous. They're just people who had normal lives and someone interviewed them and they already had like an orthopedic surgeon. Not really hurting probably for some money. Right? They probably have a house here and one in the Hamptons. Okay, so like that's what I wanted you to see. So we're going to look at this doctor who had an experience that's unexplainable. And the boat and I were immediately and completely submerged under about eight or ten feet of water. I knew that I had been underwater already too long to still be alive. Then I felt my body break free from the boat, and it's as though I sort of shook off my shell of a body and my spirit rose up and out of the river. I saw my body being pulled ashore. I saw the guys start CPR, and I could look at my body and recognize that that was my body, that that represented my life here. And at that point, I completely surrendered the outcome to God's will. I was immediately greeted by a group of people, spirits, beings. They were absolutely exploding with a pure love. And I knew without any doubt that I had known them and loved them as long as I've existed. And then I was immediately and very physically held by Christ and reassured that everything would be fine. It was as though his hair, his eyes, his skin were all the colors simultaneously. My life was laid bare for all its good and bad. And Jesus was showing me this and saying, look at how that event impacted this person that impacted that person that impacted that person. And then we started down this exceptionally beautiful path to this great domed structure of sorts that I knew without doubt was the point of no return. I could have stayed there forever. But as we were going down the pathway, I was still able to hear the guys on the riverbank and see them. And one of the guys who at the time was only 18, he kept calling to me to come back and take a breath. When I came back, I spent many, many months trying to find an alternative explanation for my experience. After going through every bit of research I could come up with, having looked at my medical records, corroborated as many details as I could about the scene at the river, I ultimately concluded that my experience was outside the realm of science and outside the realm of medicine. crazy she spent 30 minutes underwater and then they and then she was there to kind of get to watch the whole thing uh watch the guys resuscitate her and uh there are several doctors have done research because they're like they they you know some guy he says hey i i I literally saw my you operating on me here's what happened i'm like okay all right guy and then they start interviewing person after person you know the the scientific method is hypothesis, and then you've got to do observation, and then you compare, right? So if to hear one story, you're like, nah. But if you hear, if you look at 4,500 stories, then, now it's 
observable, repeatable, and you can kind of see it in each one. And here's what, after, after one doctor, Dr. Jeff Long, wrote a book, and in this book, he kind of took, here's three primary things that people, um, these 4,500 people all had in common. They described things that actually happened in their surroundings. Like one guy, uh, uh, his name was Pete. He had a, a cardiac arrest, and as they're operating him in, he's under, you know, like he's not conscious. They're operating, they're doing stuff. And the, the doctor taped him, and he described every person what they were doing because his memory was like super keen, and he could see everything. In fact, he's like, and then one doctor walked in, and he didn't have scuffs on his shoes. So, you know, you need to do whatever you reprimand that guy for. And like he went through the entire operation, and the doctor said, I could have used that as a tape to how you respond to cardiac cardiac arrest. I could have taught my medical students from that. And then also, uh, the, the, all their stories are remarkably consistent in what happens. It goes separation from their bodies, a heightened senses, so you feel more alive than you've ever felt ever. Uh, then you pass through some sort of tunnel or some sort of rising kind of experience, a brilliant light described as a person. Uh, then there's meeting others. Then there's a life review where, like, where you kind of, you know, here's all the good, here's all the bad. And then a return to their own body. Okay, so that all of the world. So Hindus had this experience, and they talked about some, some guy in a white robe with a big book. That's what they, they remember. There are those that had, they didn't see that. It wasn't like all happy and joyful. It was hellish in experience. And but what was odd is that uh, a lot of these people, there were even blind people that experienced the near-death experience, and uh, they were able to recount the same things even though they had been born blind. A woman named Vicky, born blind, uh, had a life review in which she uh, went through and saw her two childhood friends, and she was able to describe in detail what they looked like, color of hair, color of eyes, how tall, freckles, all that kind of stuff, even without ever physically ever seeing him. In fact, that same Vicky, like, and the thing, whenever you, she's like, okay, that's a nice Chris, but is it, is it corroborating with the Bible? Because I don't really want to hear about near-death experience if it doesn't line up with the Bible. And I agree. I don't want to hear about any near-death experience if it doesn't line up with God's word. Because who cares? It's just someone having a dream. Unless it just so happens that everything they say lines up with God's word. Look, watch this. There was a, uh, so Vicki, she flatlined after a bad car accident. She found herself coming out of a tunnel onto grass, seeing trees and flowers, a vast number of people surrounding her in this place of tremendous light. And, um, and Vicky said, the light was something you could feel as well as see. And everybody there was made of light. She was made of light. The light conveyed was love, and the love was everywhere. It was love came from the grass, love came from the birds, love came from the trees. So light was everywhere, and she was light. That was such an interesting thing to say. And then I was like, does that sort of stuff line up with Scripture? Here's from Daniel, chapter 12, Old Testament. Multitudes who sleep in the dust, the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Which you're like, okay, Old Testament. Maybe that was just a one-off weird one. How about some New Testament? Here's Jesus. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Or how about uh, in the Apostle John writing? This is the message that we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. How about John 8, 12? I'm the light of the world, Jesus said. 
And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know how many times, I, you, whenever I've said, you know, we're going to push back darkness, you know what, I'm, I'm thinking figuratively. I'm like, you know, we're going to be distinct from the world. People will look at us and see the goodness of God in the land of living. But perhaps the Bible is really to be taken literally. Like, there's a literal, literal way to take the Bible. No, you're literally light. And this in, on earth is a shadow of the foretaste of that is to come, that we will be light. And what a, biz- I mean, mind-blowing, mind-blowing. And so I feel like this all fits into what Jesus was trying to say. Whoever loses their life for Jesus' sake will find real life, to which, whoa, 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 whoa. Wasn't Jesus talking about, like, giving up your life for persecution? You know, like, you're about to die. Yes, but if you die in Jesus' name or under Jesus, then any of you aren't persecuted, you're going to experience paradise. Remember, remember the thief on the cross? Remember him? Like, he didn't have a chance to go shine like the, shine into the darkness, right? He's like, hey, Jesus, <laughs> doesn't look good for me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus is like, today you will be with me in paradise. So, so here it is. There's this reality. I think we resist this because I don't, because we haven't seen it. We want, listen, Chris, if I could just get a glance into that other, well, here are people that are getting a glance and they're telling you about it. I don't necessarily think you need to go through a car accident to just kind of like, I'll just take it on your word. <laughs> I think we resist this a lot because all, we focus on this life on what we can see. We live by sight and not by faith. In fact, Jesus knew we'd have this tendency, and this is why in that back to Matthew 16, he goes, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Because <laughs> I think what happens is I, listen, um, in exchange for my soul, I want pride. I want to just know I'm a little bit better than everybody else for the, my whole life. Or I want control. I just want people to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And I want them to kind of understand and see my perspective on things. And listen, I don't care what I have to give up for that, including my soul. Listen, I want people to like me. And I don't care what I have to give up. Like me, like me, like me. Or maybe it's just comfort. I just, listen, I don't want much. I just want my house, and I just want the security blanket of, like, the money and the things that are all there. I want something that's going to give me comfort. Okay. And to which you're like, Chris, I mean, like, doesn't everybody struggle with it? Yes. Yes, we do. Even, because here's, this is us. Man has a tendency to forfeit the soul to gain the whole world. Okay. And listen, this isn't just like us because we're just like carnal American Christians. We're talking Peter. Peter had this issue. Remember Peter, the guy that Jesus also called Satan. So it's not like, oh, yeah, I can see that. So Peter, you know, when he, the, the Last Supper, Jesus, they're all hanging out. And, and, and Peter's like, listen, I know. She's like, when are you guys going to betray me? And Peter's like, listen, I know the rest of these twits. They are going to probably betray you, but not me. I will go to the mat for you, Jesus. To which Jesus like, okay, Peter. Before the rooster crows, in less than essentially 12 hours, you're going to deny me three times. And he's like, <laughs> no. 
ain't nothing going to get me to deny you. Okay, so then Last Supper happens. They go to the, the garden, the Mount of Olives. Uh, Jesus prays. Uh, hey, guys, can you not pray with me? And he's going to get sleepy. He falls asleep. Jesus is praying. All of a sudden, the temple guard shows up, and all of a sudden, they're like, what's going on? Peter's ready, pulls out the sword, chops off an ear. He did his job. He's just bad aim. Anyway, he's ready to go. And Jesus takes the ear, glues it back on, and then we're moving forward. Peter, or Jesus gets arrested. Peter runs around, sort of falls at a distance, shows up at the trial in the middle of the night. He's kind of warming his hands by the fire, watching Jesus get in the third degree. And he likes to keep just a healthy distance so he can see what's going on with Jesus, but not really, you know, get the heat. And eventually, you know, as he's sort of watching the whole thing unfold, some dude goes like, hey, <clears throat> aren't you with the Jesus guy? I think I saw you, uh, you know, wielding a sword. You're the guy with the bad aim. And he's like, what are you talking about? I don't know. <laughs> you got the wrong guy. I just look like, I have one of those faces. That wasn't me. I don't know the man. And then, like, a middle schooler girl, a middle school girl walks up. She's, like, serving water. And, like, you know, you guys need anything? Oh, hey, weren't you with Jesus? And he's like, listen up, middle school girl. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know, I don't know the man. He's, like, nervous in front of this middle schooler, like, you know, as people get. And then, eventually, some dude goes, yo, like, it's clear you ain't from around here. That accent gives you away. And so, all of a sudden, Peter's like, he invokes a curse on himself, literally curses himself, forfeits his soul in a sense to gain a little bit more world because he knows that to, you know, to, to be identified with Jesus means you get put in Jesus' spot and there's a cross with his name that's about to be put on it. And so he forfeits the soul to gain the world. And thankfully, Jesus knew that he would do that. And he actually prayed to God, say, hey, God, I know that, you know, <clears throat> after Peter f- falls, uh, Satan's asking him to sift him like wheat, but I pray that you would restore him. And ultimately, Peter was. But why, why is there this resistance to death? And I think part of it is innate. Here's what I think about part of this. We were never meant to die. Did you know that? We were were never meant to die. Our death, or the fact that we're going to die, was not how God created human beings. Death was a consequence of sin. On the day you shall eat of it, you will, dying you shall die, is what God said uh, to Adam. And he's like, got it, Roger. And then all of a sudden in the garden with his wife, they're looking at the the fruit, and they're like, mmm, that's some good fruit. It looks good, tastes good, able to make one wise, be like God. I'm in. And they rejected God. And you and I have all inherited that tendency in us to forfeit the soul to gain the world. And that's why we love Peter. And that's why we love Jesus. Because Jesus ultimately does something about it. But what, what's, what's cool about Jesus is he doesn't just, um, I, I feel like sometimes there's a tendency to look at Jesus like, yeah, you know, once you, he doesn't, you know, it's sin, whatever, he doesn't care. No, no, Jesus cares about sin. In fact, what, look at this next verse. Like, he really cares about your sin. 
For the Son of Man, a.k.a. Jesus, is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay. Jesus will repay each person according to what he has done. He will repay. To which you're like, that's kind of, that doesn't sound so like gentle and mild. That sounds pretty like he's going to bring some wrath. So look at this. Jesus will repay in eternity according to what each has done in life. Which is, this is where I thought this was sort of interesting. Do you remember in Dr. Neal's video where she talked about the life review? Almost every uh, near-death experience person talks about sitting down and going through a life review. Because here's what, Jesus is a just judge. He shows you the evidence. Then he prosecutes. And do you have righteousness to free you from the depth and the claim of your darkness? And here's the reality of what we're dealing with is like, you know, we're like, I'm... I have at least about 51% of my good. You know, I'm, I'm not that. I'm, listen, there's some bad people here, and I'm not like one of those. No, no, here's what Jesus said about that. He said, that if you hate your brother in your heart, you've committed murder. So he elevates sin, that it's that bad. He said, if you lust after a woman in your heart, nah, you've committed adultery. And you're like, I'm not like one of those. No, you actually are. And so there's going to be this point at which he's going to repay you according to what you have done. So how is Jesus going to do that? And that's why I feel like the life review really, really leads us to look at our lives. And so as you watch this next video, I want you to think about what would happen if you were sitting in the seat of this Austinite who shared this story. In 1997, my wife and I met in a drug rehab. I tell people I was bad and she was bad and together we became worse. When we got out of rehab, we went back to our mess. And as we went back, I have an overdose. The ambulance comes, they pick me up, and all I remember is that they're loading me up into the back of the ambulance. And I hear this voice that says, just give up. You know, you don't have anything to live for, just die. And as I give up, all of a sudden, I find myself that I'm no longer high. And I start racing down this black tunnel, an endless free falling. It felt like being cast out into outer space. That's when I realized I died. And so as I'm going down, the next thing that comes to my head is, oh my God, I I died and I'm going to hell. I'm making all these justifications why I don't deserve hell. It seems like it starts going faster and faster. When I realize that there's nothing I can do to turn it around, I get to this place of desperation where I cry out to the Lord. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord comes down and I feel the presence of God, there was a sense of peace that came down right beside me. It's almost like he interrupted the process of me going to hell. It's just me and God now having a conversation. And he says, Paul, what have you done with the life that I've given to you? And so as I'm thinking, what's the right answer? And it was right then and there, God and I began to look at my life. My life flashes in front of me as big as the sky. And everything I had did in secret and open, good or bad, was flashing right before me. It was at that point that I realized that I didn't have any relationship with God. What a sinful man that I was. I said, God, um, I don't even want to come back. Matter of fact, if you want to send me to, um, to hell, it's okay. 
but I don't want anybody to come to this place. This place is not for people. If my life is the sacrifice so that nobody comes, then then just let me come back and tell the world. That's all. It was then that when I made that decision and told God, just give me one more chance. Let me come back. Bam, I wake up and I'm in the hospital with the IVs. I said, from this point forward, I said, I'm going to serve him. So uh, Paul Ojeda uh, took that experience and he really meant it. He's now a pastor now in South Austin uh, at the powerhouse. And so he is full-time pastoring, full-time ministering the Word of God, taking what he experienced and saying, look at what God has done. And he, that life review was chilling because when he thought about that Jesus would repay him according to what he has done, he was like, oh, man, if I get what I deserve, things are not going to be pretty. In fact, uh, one of the... Remember, questions, send a text. Uh, I got a first service, somebody sent in a text, and this is what they said, why do I feel guilty? Why do I feel guilty? Well, if you were to think about your life, would you be guilty? If you were to think about all the, all the weight of the people in your past, who, the, the times that you didn't come through, the times that you sort of like cheated a little bit here, or you just angled it to look a little bit better. And if you had the means, and if you knew you wouldn't get caught, if you don't know Jesus, then guilt's probably the right feeling. But Jesus came. And he died on that cross. For your guilt, and your shame, and your pain, and the darkness of your heart, he died on the cross for you. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5 21, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf that we might be the righteousness of God. And so there's this great exchange. Your sinfulness, your darkness, and he gives you his righteousness. And here's what's hard about that. There's a lot of you think, I'm not that bad. I don't got that much to give. You are the very person that is on the very edge of hell. Because you don't wrap your head around the fact that you are dark and twisted from the get-go. And that even at your best day, you're doing it out of the pride, out of the, your control, out of your desire for approval, or even just for a little bit more comfort. People got to like me. I'm going to do good things so they'll like me because my God is people. And so what I want you to see is that there's this God who's got this infinite love and is made of light and wants to love you so deeply and to cover over your sin with his righteousness. And so the question that I have for you is how will you view death? That's the question. And before we, we, we're going to take communion, the Lord's Supper today, and before you come up here, I want you to wrestle with this question. If you were going through the life review, what would that look like for you? You see, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Your soul is meant to feed on Jesus like your body feeds on bread. That same night, Jesus took the cup, wood for wine, glass for grape juice, 
couple people started drinking from the actual cup. Don't do that. Uh, we dip it in the cup. Okay, just that's for free. Had a couple swigs last service. <laughs> so Jesus, when he is give, he's hanging out with his disciples, he goes, listen, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this remembrances. When you come here, you're bringing your sin. You're, you're, it's reminding you of a time that I need to confess my sins to God. So if there's a part of you that's been living like a Christian atheist, or there's a part of you that's living like an atheist because you are, or an agnostic, or a person that's living like I don't have a relationship with God because you don't, this is a time to say, Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Make me the person you want me to be. And maybe that's for the first time that you take communion. And we're so excited for you to do that. Because we would love for you to come from life to death. And experience taking part of the brotherhood, of the sisterhood, of being in the family of God. But if you've been a believer for a while, take a deep breath. Sit there. Confess sin to God. And he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sin. How great is that? And then you come and you take part of the Lord's Supper with us because he commanded us to do this in remembrance of him. So as you're wrestling with this this morning, how will you view death? Is it losing? Is it something to just sort of look as like the end goal and we're going to get as much stuff as we possibly can before we die? Or is it something just to not even put on the radar? And so it doesn't affect me and I'm not going to live however I want when I want
you to imagine just for a second what would happen if we didn't look at death as losing but the ultimate gain. If we didn't look at this life as an opportunity to get all that we can as some like personal scorecard to see kind of how we're doing in comparison to everybody else. Imagine if
The engines were at full power and the aircraft climbed up to about 100, 110 feet off the ground and then we weren't climbing anymore. Very quickly knew that I was likely going to die. I was looking down at a airplane that had crashed. Right then, it hit me. I'm not my body. There's my body, but here's me. Scientists postulate there must be at least five dimensions to make sense of some of the things science is discovering. Is it so crazy to think about what comes after this life? on the stage that's never happened now it's my turn to try to I'm just playing <laughs> y'all can send that question in I definitely won't do it just so you know uh, welcome to Wells Branch Community Church I'm one of the pastors here Pastor Joseph here on staff uh, I am excited for you to be here just I, I feel God's presence in here this morning I'm excited just to share in his word with you all we're in this series this is week two of what's after ATX where we're looking at some near-death experience we're talking about heaven next week we're talking about hell so we're, we're excited about what God is doing and him moving. On this morning, we're talking about responding to heaven. Everyone say responding. responding. All right. And so if you have any questions about heaven, we'd love to hear your questions. You can send them in. We're going to talk about them at Pastor Plex Podcast tomorrow morning. we got a guest coming in who's one of the members of this church. And so it'll be some good conversation. So any question you have, if you want to know how to do handstands, well, I can't do it. You can ask the question. I won't be able to tell you. We're going to have to bring Ryan in as a guest on there or something. But any question you have on topic, off topic, we really want to talk about faith culture and everything in between, all those things we're talking about. So uh, for those that don't know me, I am a father of three kids. I'm Joseph the third and my son, Joseph the fourth, my namesake. I've always been looking forward to being a father. Like I look forward, like that was like number one on my priority list since I was a kid. I didn't. Wasn't raised with a father. It's like, man, I can't wait to be a dad to kids, plural. Like I told my wife, when we have kids, we're having seven of them. So just so you know, we done at three, though, just so you know, we done. We done. After two, I was like, God, I don't know what I was thinking. Anyways, uh, so J4 is my, my oldest son. He's my namesake. Uh, I love him to life. And, and he's a really good kid. I don't normally boast and brag about him. You won't see a lot of stuff on social media of me putting out for my kids. But he's an awesome kid, like straight A student. He's really smart. He skipped the grade, like all these different things. Like he's excellent. Like he's really good. Like I, I, it's an honor to celebrate my son. And one of the things I love about him is his joy for gifts, like receiving gifts. Like when he gets a gift, you know he like it. It's like, man, this is good. And so him and my, my brother, uh, his uncle Chris, having this arrangement that, hey, if you make straight A's on your report card every nine weeks, I'll buy you a new pair of shoes. Right? He said, you make A's, you come see me. Right? You make B's, don't come see me. That's his words, not mine. That's their agreement. And so at the beginning of this year, he, he got him a new pair of shoes. He showed him the report card, straight A's. He got him these shoes. My son gives him, he sees this big old smile. Like his response is like he gets the box and he's like just teasing. Right? Ear to ear. And he's super excited. He puts on the shoes and he's just running around the house in the shoes just because he got new shoes, just running around, running around the house every, every which way. He said, Dad, I'm going to sleep in these. <laughs> I said, what in the world? Joseph, just take the shoes off. Like he, he cleans them. He wears them one time. He's cleaning his shoes. He's even cleaning the bottom of his shoes. 
Like, that's stuff I used to do when I was a kid, but I'm like, I didn't even teach him that. But he just wants to keep them clean. He's taking care of his shoes. That's his response. He, he earns it. I like to cultivate this idea of, hey, you work hard, you get stuff, right? I mean, that's life. As an adult, you want to work, you want to get paid for the work you do. So I try to teach that to my kids. And his response, though, to it is awesome. Whenever I see him, he gets those new pair of shoes. He responds accordingly, right? He responds accordingly. And so what we're looking at on this morning is our response to heaven. Because initially when we set this up, it was like, hey, we need a clear view of what heaven is. Right? And I said, well, let's go a little bit further. How should we respond to heaven? Like, there should be a response to, to this external factor. And when I say heaven, I'm thinking of where we're going, what is promised to us because of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when I talk about heaven, it's that promise. It's about being in the presence of God, that promise. And what can happen is we may not properly respond to heaven because, well, we believe we're already doing enough. We're okay with where we're at, right? It's it's like that, that, that checklist of, hey, I woke up this morning. I did my morning prayer. I did my little Devo, read a little bit of the Bible, talked to my wife a little bit, talked to the kids and greeted them on their day. Now I can put that aside and go about doing my business, right? The checklist of life. I did that. I'm done with that. I'm doing enough. Like Sunday morning, I came. Wednesday, midweek, community group or Bible study, however you do it. I did that, and I'm good. Right? I can check that off the box. I'm doing enough. That's my response to knowing where I'm going. Another thing that we, or another way we may not properly respond is it doesn't take that much, right? It don't take all that. I know that ain't proper English, but I'm going to say it like I want to say. It don't take all that. You're being extra. You're doing the most, right? It don't take you doing all that screaming and hollering when you're talking about Jesus. It don't take all that excitement. And it's funny to me, like, when we can celebrate everything else in this world that we're responding to, the joy that the world gets from us because of the gifts that it gives us, what happens when we connect that to the joy that the Lord gives us because of the life-giving, the, the air that we breathe, the knowing that we're going to heaven? What shifts about that for you? Because when you know the object, I, I remember when I was 11, 12 years old, and I went to Slitterbond. For those of you not from here, Slitterbond, it's like a water park, big old water park, one of probably the biggest ones in the nation. My first time ever going... I remember what I wore. I had on some purple overalls. My mom put us all in purple overalls so she can see us, like, and not forget us. Horrible. But I still remember that day. I look forward to that day. I didn't sleep. On the way there that night, I was just up. Every time I woke up 2 o'clock in the morning, it's time to go. Nope. Still dark outside. Because of that joy of the prize that was coming, there was a response for that. Yet still, when it comes to our faith and We're scared and afraid of being canceled and different things. It don't take all that. Why are you doing that? Right? Maybe it's just me. I'm talking about me. So if it's you, that's cool. But I'm telling you about me. And lastly, I found one of the ways that we don't properly respond or we can not properly respond to heaven is because it costs too much. It's an inconvenience. Ain't nobody got time for that. Right? It costs too much. You want me to do what? Because I'm safe. I thought all I had to do was pray and accept Christ, my Lord and Savior. Didn't Jesus pay it all? So why do I still have to do some more stuff? He did the work. 
But there should be a response. Right? If I, if I give my son a gift and he doesn't respond and I say, you don't like it, you don't want it? No, 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 I want I want it. You want to see a response. And how come then we're not responding to our Lord and Savior? Or the response he gets is a Sunday morning response and then Monday is like, all right, I did my due diligence. So that's where we're going on this morning. Right? And, and this will be a little bit different than how I usually do it because usually I'm just walking through the text. Because we're doing the baptism today of our boy Fu, right? Celebrate him, right? We're celebrating, we're doing a baptism. While we're, we're doing a baptism this morning. So I wanted to take the life of the Apostle Paul and take snapshots of his life. Because usually we ask a few questions of, hey, what was your life like before coming to know Christ? This is part of he, our, our testimony. It's like, what was your life like before Christ? How did you come to know Christ? So how has your life changed since accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior? And for me, when I used to do the videos, I used to ask them, is there one thing that you would like to just tell everyone? Like one sentence, one phrase, or whatever. And so we're going to look at Paul's life through that lens. And so we'll hop through a few scriptures to that. Y'all with me so far? All right, would y'all pray with me? Father God, thank you. I thank you for being life-giving. I thank you that right now we can gather together as a body of believers, as friends, as families, as loved ones, God, just to hear more about you. I pray that you will hide me behind the cross. God, I pray that you will open up the spiritual ears of the people in this sanctuary, in this worship center on this morning. God, I pray that we can hear a word from you. And God, that word we hear is something that we run with, not just today, God, but we run with it tomorrow, the day after, and the day after. God, it's something we live by. God, you are more than enough. God, and I pray that we can respond to that, that we can see how big you are, God. God, I love you. God, I thank you, and I praise you. It's all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 9. If you don't, under the seats in front of you, there are some Bibles somewhere around there. You can grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that one. It is our gift to you. All right, Acts chapter 9. This is Paul. We're answering, answering this question. Paul, what was your life like before coming to know Christ? At the end of chapter 7, the first time Paul comes up, before his name changed, his name is Saul. He comes into this picture. He is literally standing, and people are putting their garments in front of his feet. Why are they doing this? Well, there's a stoning happening between, to this man named Stephen. Stoning, for those that may not know, is they're throwing heavy rocks at a man to kill him because of his profession of Jesus Christ. And so at the end of chapter 7, we see Stephen getting stoned. And in those moments he's getting stoned, he looks up and sees Jesus at the right hand of God. He also says he commits his spirit to him. He also says God forgives them. Reminiscent of Jesus being on the cross. And I love this, this picture of painting that the, pro the proximity, your proximity to something makes you become more like it. The closer he is, so here Stephen is in the presence of God, he's dying. And Saul, future, also known as Paul, he is there as men fold their clothes in front of it. Chapter 8 starts off with the scripture saying in verse 1, Paul approves of this death. Paul literally says, I approve this message. Kill him. Kill him all. Every one of those believers, those Jesus followers, kill them all. This is Paul we're talking about. The one who wrote a big portion of the New Testament. This is Paul. And so in chapter 9, this is where it picks up. It says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Picture this. The question is asked, 
Paul, what was your life like before Christ? He said, oh, I was bad about it. He said, I'm killing everybody. You love Jesus? He running over there. Let's go. He get it, he's getting all the paperwork, he says, and he asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he has found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he getting paperwork in order. He literally busting down doors, snatching people out of their houses because of their belief in Jesus Christ. I'm so glad to say on this morning that that is not my testimony. I don't have to worry about professing my faith to our Lord and sa- about my Lord and Savior. And I have to worry about someone snatching me out of my house, taking my kids because of my love for God. But this is his response to heaven. This is his, his story. Him saying, hey, I killed Christians. I locked them up. I put them in jail. And I was okay with that. And so for some of us that are thinking, hey, I'm not good enough. You don't know my life. You don't know my story. You don't know what I've been through. You think Jesus is going to accept me? Paul teaches us, and he, he says it over and over. He said, I'm the chief sinner. You looking for someone? He said, I can check all those boxes I killed, and I thought I was doing the right thing. He says, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Everyone say, I see the light. All right, that just lets you know you're paying attention. I'm going to make you say some things every now and then. But literally, he sees the light. And what is his response to seeing the light? It says, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, he fell to the ground. Just from seeing, from being in the physical presence, seeing the light of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, he falls to the ground. You see the power in God's presence, that even someone that doesn't believe in him falls to the ground. There's a response. You can't help it. There's a response. Right? And I love what I love about this. Now, and I was really digging in, and I'm like, God, so, so what does this mean for us? That there should be a response. Like, there's no way that you can come in contact, that you can be in proximity of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit residing in you, that you can be in proximity of God and not respond and not do anything. And it not come out. And let's not talk about it. People not know that you love Jesus. Because I'm guilty, right? right? We're, we're guilty of that. Oh, well, you know, I don't know what they're going to say if I talk about my faith. I'll just wait to get around other believers. Here Paul is. He's experiencing Jesus Christ for the first time. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Funny thing about this is that he's not actually persecuting Jesus, who is in heaven. He's persecuting Jesus' people. And so please understand that if you're persecuting, if you're talking about, if you're laughing at people of God, you're laughing at God. Why? Because we're his people. And so Jesus takes that personal. So we can understand that we're under the authority, but under the covering also of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And guess what? He'll speak and fight on your behalf. And we'll get to it later about this idea of us wanting to take control and wanting to handle this on its own, on our own. But God said, no, I got you. You got to let me get you and stop trying to handle it on your own. But he said, why are you persecuting me? 
because persecuting him means he's persecuting his people. He says, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but not seeing no one. This means that everybody's not going to see what Jesus is doing in your life. Here he is in the presence of God, and no one even knew it. They hear him talking. They, they can hear something. They couldn't see anything. Not, not everyone's going to see what God is doing. Not everyone's going to be able to handle what God is doing. That does not mean you become silent and you don't do anything. There's a response. And so Paul's response to heaven was to be hell on earth. Paul's response to heaven was to be hell on earth. What does that mean? Well, he, he was okay with sending people to heaven, but he wasn't a believer and he wasn't doing it on purpose. He thought he was doing the right thing. He felt that he was in control. So, hey, y'all aren't worshiping God, not the right way. So let me respond by killing some of you. Let me, let me respond by sending you to jail. I'm here to tell you that proximity cultivates understanding. Proximity cultivates relationships. My wife, Sierra, she's back here somewhere, but one of the, she's an art, she was an art major at UTSA. And for those that don't understand, art is a whole lot of things. That she, we got bowls in our cabinet that we haven't used in over a decade that she made that I want to throw away, and it's the memories. <laughs> All right? We have paintings on our wall that she painted, just different things. Now, because of proximity, there's a lot of things that had to happen. There was many of nights and mornings that I was up in the gap studio with her creating art. Helping her make stuff. She was at the school. So I told her, when you graduate, this is our degree. <laughs> right? Right? But if you're and the creatives will understand that she had to go to art shows, studio galleries, like all those different things. And she'd ask me, do you want to go? And I'd say, no, yes. Like, that was my reaction. Like, I really didn't want to go because I used to, ex like, ex I don't know if you've ever been to a studio, like, especially San Antonio is where we were living at the time. We go to these studios. I remember seeing someone selling a T-shirt that they stabbed nails in and, like, hung it up, and they're selling it for, like, $10,000, a piece of art, right? Just crazy stuff like that. I used to see all the time. Somebody made a video of people crossing the street. It's over the Duluth. We sell this for a few thousand dollars, right? Just crazy stuff I saw. I used to be in there. I'm like, I could do that. I'm like, this one of me. Y'all telling me I ain't never been to an art gallery and thought to yourself, I can do that. Okay, this was me, and I kind of did it loudly. Like, I was, I was being a fool kind of when I was in there. She'd be punching me, stop, you're embarrassing me. I said, this is an embarrassment. <laughs> Who am I then? But the reality of it is, is that proximity breeds understanding, cultivates understanding. And so the more and more I watched my wife go to school and paint the paintings and do the different things, I started to understand more, like, why people did it. Like, I started to understand why people would sit in front of a painting for hours and just be like, hmm. Like, I started doing crazy stuff like that, too. I was like, mm, look at that. These strokes and stuff. Like, I, I, back then, I knew all the language because my wife would tell me, and it was cool. So much so that I picked up a camera because of my wife. Proximity took. I began to take pictures. Begin to love it. Begin to do videos. And so I learned some creative, artistic stuff just based off proximity to my wife. Transfer that over to our relationship with Christ. How many of the people in proximity of you know of your love for Jesus? And it begins to pour out over on them. How many people follow you, hang out with you? How many people do you have influence in your lives in some capacity? And they know of your relationship with Christ. Because the language is different.
because of what you say and how you say it and where you go is different. They see you and they see a difference. Your response to heaven is different because of your relationship with God. And so this is Paul. What was your life like before? I was killing people. How did you come to know Christ? Literally, I saw the light. Literally, I saw the light. And it changed my life. How has the light changed your life? And so then we look at Acts 14, fast forward. We say, well, what's changed about it, Paul? Big brother apostle Paul, how has your life changed after seeing the light? He says, even with these words, scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. It's like, wait a minute, people are offering sacrifice to you? Well, let me give you a little context. So he goes out on his first mission trip, proclaiming the gospel. He went literally from persecuting Jesus' followers to proclaiming Jesus. Persecution to proclamation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And now he's the one being chased out of town. Now he's the one having to look over his shoulder, worried about who's going to knock down the door of the room that he's in. Literally, the people are lowering him down the walls of the city so he can get out of town. But boldly, he's preaching it. With power, he's preaching it. So he preaches this gospel. He tells someone that's been hurt, sick, can't walk. He says, hey, rise up. You are healed. Your faith has made you healed. Just like Stephen, his proximity to God, his relationship with Jesus, shifted his life so much so that he began to look like Jesus. Here Paul is the same thing. He's healing people, looking like Jesus. And so they see him healing someone, and they say, yo, you must be a God. He's like, no, no, no. He literally rips his clothes off, rah, tears it. They say, no, man, I ain't God. I'm trying to point you to the living God. They're like, nah, 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 you Zeus, your boy over there, Hermes, like y'all, y'all gods, right, for real, for real. And, 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 and that's what they were used to. As they saw those things, they was praising and worshiping the idols. They were used to that. But they, ha- they assumed, oh, y'all must be the gods. And they're like, nah, it's not me. I don't need your offerings. All the glory goes to God. All the honor goes to God. Everything I point to is him. But during this opposition, the Jews find a way to come in. They say, oh, I see a little obstacle here. We can use this against for us against Mr. Paul and all his people. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowd, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. So here he is sitting up telling his story about what his life was like before Christ and what it's like now. He said, well, before Christ, I was approving people getting stoned. Now, well, I'm getting stoned myself. Big rocks and stones, so much so that they think he's dead. Could you imagine what someone looked like that got stoned with the people dragging him, his lifeless body out of a town, thought he was dead? That was his response to seeing the light. Jesus impacted him so much he was willing to die for it. And who we are in 2022 leaving the church because someone looked at us the wrong way. (laughs) Here we are okay with just being sideline Christians. Because we checked off the box that we did our devos. I'm just talking about us. We can't be unified in the church and we expect to go out into the world and show unification. 
And we can't even get it right in our own house. And Paul is here saying, look, I'm, I'm getting stoned. Look what happened. He said, supposing he was dead. He was dead. They thought he was dead. It was that bad. But when the disciples gathered about him, and even this in itself, I love, that during opposition, his people still came together. They didn't separate. They didn't disperse. During opposition, they gathered themselves around him, and he rose up. He entered the city, and on the next day, he went on with, the Bar- with, with Barnabas to Dur- Derbe. Y'all, y'all see what just happened. This man was just stoned to the point that every stoned to death. To where they're dragging this lifeless body out of the city. And the very next day, he's ready to go back to work. And we're not ready to work here in our own cities, in our own homes, in our own church because of the inconvenience of my time, my finances, resources, or whatever it may be for you. How are we responding to heaven? Jump ahead a little bit more. A few years later, Paul's walking. He's just, he's telling us this story of his life. But what is your life like? Well, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. What's happening now is that in this city, you have what's called super apostles. Super apostles don't mean they're good. That just means false. So you have these false apostles these fa- or, or these false teachers, these false prophets who are saying they're seeing visions and that they're seeing revela- they have revelations from God and all these different things and they're not true. He says, man, I don't like to do this, but let me tell you this story. So much so that he changes from speaking in first person to third person about himself because he doesn't. You remember years ago, he experienced talking about God and, 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 and proclaiming the word and everyone pointed at him. and They begin to make sacrifices and offerings to him. So now he's telling the story from third person. He's learned. He says, it's not about me. It's about God. He says, I know a man. He's talking about himself in Christ. Everyone say in Christ. He loves to say this kind of language and use this kind of language. It's this positional language to be in something, to be about something, to be there in its presence. So he's saying, I know a man in the presence of God who understands that he moves, communicates through God. To be in it means I know of it. And he says, who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Third heaven, just so you know, if you've never heard this before, is the heaven that we're talking about. First heaven will be here. We see the trees and the grass and we see everyone. Second heaven will be space or the sun, the moon, everything else. Third heaven will be up there with God, right? Whether in body or out of body, I don't know. Only God knows. And all he's saying is, look, I don't know if he physically took me to heaven or it was just an out-of-body experience, but God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Paradise here is just referring to the Garden of Eden, which is the presence of God. And during this time, they would understand this language, being heaven, in paradise, meaning, hey, we're talking about being in the presence of God. Whether in body or out of body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. And so he's boasting about himself, but not making it about himself, speaking in third person. That's what he's trying to do. But on his own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Everyone say weaknesses. Weaknesses. Just pausing there just for a second. And all he's saying is this. He's saying, I want to give God glory because I'm not strong enough to do this on my own. 
If I boast about my weaknesses and tell you how good I'm not, then you can understand the goodness and the things that you see about me. It's all about God. This work that I'm doing, it ain't about me. It's all about God. I'm strong, not because of me, but because of God. I'm able to handle these situations, not because of me, but because of y'all listening. He says, though, if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool. I ain't a liar. If I, I can tell you the truth, I can tell you the strength that I'm operating from. But guess what? For I will be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me. It ain't about me than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul proclaimed heaven even when life on earth was hell. Right, everything around him. this man got stoned. It's, it, it, it feels like a lose-lose situation, right? I'm out here proclaiming the word, and he don't even care because it's about God. I told y'all earlier about the checklist, or we're checking things off the list, and yesterday we celebrated my, my daughter's four-year, her, her fourth birthday. Right, she just turned four. My, my, I call, call her Cauliflower. She's my little Cauliflower, Collier. Right, four years. My wife a couple weeks ago gave me a list. I don't know if your wife, if you have friends, she's a list person. She texted to me, hey, here's your, thing, here's your list of things to do, from printing stuff out to buying whatever. I was like, cool. Well, I text my wife a lot, and so that list got pushed up, and I didn't go back to it. Right, so Thursday, she sends the list again. Here's your list, things you need to do. I'm like, cool. I look at the list. I prioritize what I need to do first, how I need to do it. The only thing I remember is the thing at the top, and that was get the balloon. Right, there was like five other things that I was supposed to do underneath that. I did none of that. Right, literally at the store, getting balloons blow, blown up, just thinking to myself, what am I supposed to be doing? I don't know. But I, I, as priority, and this is the thing, I was in the H-E-B parking lot, and I, this happened to me yesterday, and I said, I got to where I was going, I was like, oh, I forgot all the other stuff on the list. And he said, this is the problem. This is God speaking to me. He, through parenting and life, me and God, we have, we have these conversations all the time. Right, and he said, this is the problem. He said, you put me on the list. I'm like, whoa, God, we talking about birthday party. Now you done went to, to me and your relationship. He said, hey, I need you to see this right now. He says, he says, see, you think having your devotional with me in the morning and praying and, and doing these things that you check off the list and you move them to the side and say, hey, I talked to God. I spent time with God on this today. You think that's good enough? He said, I don't want to be on your list. He said, I want to be your center. Hear me out. When I say this, because people say, well, God got to be number one. Nah, God don't need to be on no list where he's compared and prioritized with other things. Because he's above all. Right? He said, so what happens is, he said, when I'm at the center, I cultivate your list. Right? I help you put the things on your list. I help the things on your list get better. I help you understand how to interact and engage with the things on your list better. He said, this is the problem. He said, at the center is me. And then through me, you learn how to love your wife. You learn how to parent your kids. He said, you learn how to do these other things through me. But what has happened is you prioritize me. And so often when we prioritize things, they lose priority depending on the busyness and whatever else is going on in our lives. He said, I can't get you if I'm not at the center. If you're okay with just your daily devotional with me, then that's fine. He said, but proximity to me, you leave me when you do that. He said, when I'm at the center, how you drive, I help you with that. How you react when people cut you off, I can help you with that. He said, oh, you having problems at home? He said, I got you. Come through me. Let me teach you how to love your kids and love your wife well. He said, oh, you lost, you lost your job? It's okay because I'm your center. You're not anchored in a job or in finances or in a person. He said, you're anchored in me. And I begin to shift 
your way of thinking because now I will never leave you or forsake you. That other stuff may fall away. He said, but I won't. He said, let me get you. Trust me, I got you. I'm right here. Let me do it. So Jesus at the center of it all begins to change and shift our mindsets and what we're doing and how we do it. So regardless of what's going on around, God got you. Everyone say, God got me. Do you believe it or is that lip service? I was having a conversation with one of my little cousins every week. My family, we have a Bible study. Sometimes I leave, lead it. My mom, other people lead. And every Tuesday, do a Zoom call. People literally from Texas to Ohio, Florida, they're just all over Atlanta. And we come together and we're talking and we're conversing. And this subject for the last few weeks has, last few weeks has been forgiveness. And one of my little cousins, she called me afterwards and I had said something. She said, man, that's really good. I just feel like I got people I need to forgive. We're going through the class. It'd be great. She said, but then when we come out of it, I'd be like, man, I still don't like them. And, and that's how it is for us. I thought that was funny. I said, well, that's true for all of us. It's so easy when we're in the church to just, like, laugh and celebrate God and be around people that believe and not have to worry about being ashamed and all those kind of things. Because everybody here, it's like, I can say Jesus and y'all ain't going to make fun of me because we're in the church. But let me go out those doors right there. Oh, I ain't going to say Jesus one time. You ain't going to see it on my social media, in my conversations, in my text message. You ain't going to know who I love. I mean, I'm a... I'm okay. And, and, and what happens is just sitting on the sidelines, hoping to get a ring, because it's like I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. I truly believe he died for me and all my sins. I do believe he bared that, those burdens on the cross. The mindset is because he did all that and he paid it all, I ain't got to pay nothing. I ain't got to do nothing. And, and in essence, yes, there's that. But there's, there is a response to what I believe when it comes to Jesus Christ. Like, there's no way I should not react and respond to my love and my relationship with Christ. My wife, who I've been married to for 16, almost 17 years, I respond to her love. I show her affection. There are things that, that you see and you know we are married that I will not do with anyone else. It's intimate. It's personal. There's depth to it. Because she's my wife. How much deeper should that relationship be with God? How much more should I be responding to my love for what Jesus did on the cross? How much suffering should I be willing to go through? How many people should I talk to and tell them about, man, this changed my life. This Jesus, like Jesus did it. I know. I believe it. And I'm going to walk in it. So now we've asked those questions. And if you, you're opening Bibles, we're going to go to Philippians. But it's right here on the screen. It's just one scripture. It's that last question in the video where I would ask, I would say, so, Paul, knowing all that you've been through and you've experienced, if you could tell people one thing, what would you tell them? One thing. And he says here, he says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What do you mean, Paul? To live is Christ. To die is gain. What do you mean? I was having a conversation with my mother uh, this week, actually. And I asked her just December 12, 15, 15, December 15, 2015, was the day she found out she had breast cancer. And she said, and she began to write 
a lot of things just to encourage her and just prayers and different things going through that experience. And I remember sitting next to her plenty of times where we would have conversations when she's going through radiation or the chemo. I'm sorry, well, she did both, but when she's going through and you're sitting next to your, the, the person that literally gave you life outside of God who raised you. I grew up in a single-parent home, so the relationship was different. To be there and experience your mother losing her hair, to be close, that's the closest that I personally have been to death. And your mother's love for God so deep says, oh, it's a win-win. I'm like, oh, that's what Paul meant. It's a win-win. He said, if I live, it's a win. Yeah, I want to see my grandkids grow up, graduate college, see them get married, maybe see some great grandkids. He said, but if I die, I win. I'm with Christ. I'm with God. And when you think about that, because a lot of, not everyone's story is I've been close to death. I've had a near-death experience. Not everyone has that testimony. But you can talk about it. You can read about it here. Or, or, or maybe the prize isn't enough. Maybe me thinking about heaven isn't that big of a deal that I should be responding, that I should be going through. So Paul anticipated heaven even when life on earth was hell. So God, what does that mean? Oh, that just means come what may. My purpose, my focus should be Christ. Whatever's in front of you, my purpose and my focus should be Christ. Like how are we responding in anticipation of knowing that we have heaven. So this anticipation should drive us, should, should cultivate us to say, there are things about my life that need to change. I should not, I shall not be okay with people not knowing who Jesus Christ is. Because Paul later on in this chapter, he tells them, he says, look, I could die and I'd be cool with that because I know where I'm going. He said, but you still need me here. We're here. We have breath in our lungs, giving to us by God. We're here. How are we using that? How are we allowing that to influence those that are around us? Because if the goal is to preach the gospel, to make God's name, to make Jesus' name known on this earth, and I'm okay with walking out of these doors and not saying anything about them until I come back next week. That's a problem. If I'm okay with living my life however I want to live it, that's a problem. The same joy that I love seeing on my son's face when I gift him something, the joy that it gives me, I should have even more so joy every single day because of what God did. And so my question for you this morning is this. What is your response to heaven here on earth? What is your response 
Because personally, I'm challenged because every now and then, now and again, I'm out and I'm okay with scrolling, the infinite scroll of social media. And sharing a funny video or a funny meme or something that I saw to make me laugh. Sending it to my brother or someone close to me. And I get lost in those different things. And it's like, man, it's been a couple of hours. Ah, it's fine. I mean, I got stuff to do, but it's fine. And I begin to get, feel this conviction of with every breath, there should be a response to me. And what you do and how you engage. You're consuming so much information, and it's not me. It's not about me. He said, no, I need you to push me out. If you're not taking me in, go on and push me out to the world. When you're in your, your quiet time with me, ask for opportunities to have conversations about God. Because no one wants to come in if we're not excited about being here ourselves. I don't want to be a part of what you're doing if you're not going to be excited about it. If you can't have joy for the Lord, why would somebody else? It's so easy for me to quote my favorite movie lines. If somebody was going to say, what's your favorite movie? Oh, Heartbeat. I tell you. I can tell you why. I can tell you the emotions that it brings up in me. I want that for the word. People hear that, people have asked me, I said, oh, let's talk about Jesus. And just tell my testimony. My life before Christ, it wasn't the best. And I hear for some of us, you may say, I didn't grow up in church. Right? I don't have a horror story like Paul or anything. I mean, one of my favorite songs when I was a kid used to be this dude named The Truth. That was his name. And he was a rapper and he said, I ain't got no horror stories. God kept me in, the, his, in my youth. I give him all the glory. Well, I mean, I grew up in a single-parent household in the hood. I mean, there's some more in that, but oh, God covered me. I've been saved as long as I can remember, and I'm not ashamed of that. That doesn't give any less value or more value. God came for all of us. Not just me. Every single one of us. Right where you're at, he wants you. He wants all of you. All that you've been through, all that life has thrown at you, depression, the worry, the shame. God wants all of that. He said, give it to me. He said, let me be the sinner and watch me begin to influence those things around me. And so as we watch this video and hear the testimony of our brother who's accepted Christ as a super and Savior, I want you to think about your story. Think about that moment you saw the light. Think about how God changed your life. Think about how you're responding Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you. God, we praise you that you love us. There is none like you. But I ask right now that you will continually cultivate our hearts and our minds to bring about understanding, to bring about action behind our love for you. We want to respond to you. But God, I thank you for everyone that made it in here. God, it wasn't by happenstance or circumstance. It wasn't an accident that they are here. God, you purposed them to be here on this day, May 1st, the first of the day of May. God, and I thank you for the relationships that will start, begin to get built in here because of you. God, I ask that you continue to change lives and influence us because of our proximity to you. God, we want to be more like you, your son, Jesus. We want to learn more about you. God, we love you. God, we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.